Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Someone wrote a national column suggesting that whomever we elect should at the very least be able to pass a basic high school test in American history. The fact is we all should be able to, if only because the past is prologue, because where we are as a nation and the problems and privileges we embrace today is a direct result of that history. Few have done more to help us understand our military history than my guest, Patrick O'Donnell. In his latest book, The Unknowns, Patrick takes us back a hundred years to a story that, while unique to itself, represents the fundamental reverence we have as a nation for those that gave their last full measure of devotion. Patrick O'Donnell is a best-selling, critically acclaimed military historian. He's the author of 11 books, including Washington's Immortals, We Were One, and Dog Company, and he's the recipient of several national awards. He served as a combat historian in a Marine platoon during the Battle of Fallujah and provided historical consulting for the award-winning series Band of Brothers. It is my pleasure to welcome Patrick O'Donnell back to this program to talk about the unknowns, the untold story of America's unknown soldier and World War I's most decorated heroes who brought him home. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure and an honor, Jeff, and uh, we go back all the way to my some of my first books. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Well, it's always great to have you here. I want to talk about how you came to this story, because certainly the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers is, is an attraction that, that draws millions of people in Washington, D.C. The changing of the guard at the tomb is one of uh, the most reverent events, and yet it has gotten very little attention over the years in terms of really understanding its place in history. Talk a little about that. It's history hidden in plain sight. And, you know, for me, all the books that I've ever written have found me in one way or another. And that's certainly the case with the unknowns. I was um, given the honor and privilege to lead a, um, a guided tour for the Marine Corps in France. First for the uh, 5th Marines and then later for the Wounded Warrior Regiment. And we, we walked through Normandy first, uh, the St. Mary Glees, Point de Hoc, Omaha Beach. And then we came back to the great and epic battle that the Marine Corps fought in World War I, the Battle of Belleau Wood. And as we walked through the shell craters of Belleau Wood, you know, some of them like, literally swallow a small house. They, they, there's mustard gas still entombed in some of the hardwood trees. It was this kind of accidental serendipity where I found out that the first Medal of Honor recipient for the Marine Corps, Ernest A. Jansen, saved Hill 142. And as we were walking Hill 142, it was uncovered that he was a body bearer for the unknown soldier that General Pershing personally selected. And at that point, every one of my books is, they find me, but also is about curiosity. I wanted to know who the other men were. And that's the story that I uncovered. And it's, it was history in plain sight. It was about the tomb, which is really an unknown soul, uh, story and how it came about and the approach on the selection. And it's also about the men, these eight men, as well as uh, Edward Younger, who selected the, the body, the tomb, the um, unknown soldier itself. The whole thing was, I found out it was a story about the American Expeditionary Force. Each one of these men was selected to tell a part of that story in the Army, the Navy, and the Marine Corps, as well as each service specialization, everything from the cavalry, the field artillery, combat engineers, even, you know, I mean, mounted troops, uh, cavalry, um, heavy guns, the rail guns. And 
this is the story that's wrapped inside of, it's multiple stories wrapped inside of the unknowns. It tells the story of the entire expeditionary force. It's a band of brothers. It follows the 49th Company of the Marines, which is Jansen's company through the entire war, in some of the most epic battles of World War I, uh, Battle of Bella Wood, for instance, Battle of Blanc Mont, which nobody's ever heard of. It's an impregnable fortress that the French couldn't take for three years. And the, the 49th and the 2nd Division took it in two days. Um, it's also the untold story of the tomb itself. And, and that's, it's, it's all of these stories kind of wrapped into one, and it's told very cinematically. Talk a little bit about Pershing's selection of these eight men and, and whether or not he really thought through this representation that you're talking about, or it was really just one of those coincidences of history. It was the, the army, there was direction from him from the top to select eight men from each of the three service branches at the time, the army, the Navy, and the Marine Corps. And then within that, each branch selected what they considered the can- their best candidates. And then General Pershing had the final selection itself. And he knew several of these men. Um, the book is, is about men. Many of these men were the most decorated men in the American Expeditionary Force. For instance, Samuel Woodfill was considered by Pershing, who, who Pershing knew Woodfill quite well, to be one of the greatest soldiers of the American Expeditionary Forces. And he had, I mean, it's an extraordinary story. He took out three machine gun nests single-handedly. He even killed a man in hand-to-hand combat with a pickaxe. Um, Pershing wanted that, but then they also had sort of a physical characteristic. They wanted people that were six feet high, so they looked good, if you will. But it was really more about the story. And each one of these stories tells an extraordinary aspect of the American Expeditionary Forces. It's not just the guys in the trenches. It's also the Navy. For instance, James Delaney was a naval gunner, um, gunner's mate on board a merchant ship that, that fought a U-boat for several hours in a, in a running deck gun battle, which is it's an amazing story that could be a movie. And then Delaney was actually captured alive with six of his other fellow crew members, including the captain of the USS Campana. And if you've ever seen the movie Das Boat, that's what it reminds me of because they have to, they have to endure depth charge attacks. They go through a minefield. They encounter what's known as a Q ship, which is an allied raider that was disguised as a merchant ship that suddenly when the U-boat surfaced, hidden guns would appear and try to take out the U-boat. And it's all within the sweaty confines of a U-boat, which, you know, is operating under the sea. And there's literally you know, condensation that forms inside the boat. And these men are getting um, what's known as U-boat sweat that literally gets on their clothes and all their food, the oil and grease from the engines inside of this dirty, you know, small chamber within the U-boat. And the book really sort of, The Unknowns takes you into that, into that place, which is an unknown story. Did those that were selected understand immediately the honor that was being bestowed on them? Absolutely. Each one of these men, um, this was a, a an amazingly big deal. And the, the, um, the unknown itself was the, was a large, the, the ceremony for the unknown was the largest ceremony of its time for 1921. And it was, 
it was looked upon as a to, to really sort of do many things, including act as a sort of national healing for multiple things for multiple areas. It was a, a chance to provide some closure for all of those who had lost loved ones. There's about 116,000 combat deaths that America sustained in World War One, and the, the tomb is a national symbol to represent all of those who had fallen for America through the years from the revolution forward. And this was a chance to provide some level of closure for those who lost loved ones and to actually also honor those who had served in World War One. But they looked at it in a, in a way to sort of to, to, to heal some of the national wounds that had taken place. And for many, many decades, we had fought the American Indian. And one of our body bearers in the book, Thomas Saunders, is a Native American. You know, an extraordinary story and soldier um, who was, he was given some of the toughest combat assignments. The Native Americans were put out front as scouts in most cases. Or in Saunders' case, he was a, um, he had to breach the wire. He was only given a pair of handheld wire cutters. And his job was to breach a hole or put a hole through mountains and mountains of barbed wire so that the infantry could, could advance. And he would go across no man's land under a sniper and machine gun fire as well as artillery fire and get to the wire and make an, make an opening for the infantry to go through. But Saunders also penetrated so far into no man's land and into enemy territory that he was able to single-handedly capture over 60 German soldiers. And he had many other exploits that he was decorated for. He was there. But the last person I think that's really quite interesting that actually said some words in the ceremony for the unknown soldier was Chief Plenty Clues, who was a Native American war chief. And he, you know, basically discusses his, you know, the role of, Native Americans and how they had fight the, fought the white man. But he looks at this as a great privilege to sort of, in some way, in a small way, maybe heal some of those wounds. And he places his war bonnet with, with feathers that he had earned from, you know, many, you know, many acts of bravery, as well as a war staff on top of the, on top of the grave as the body is lowered into the, into the ground. And there's soil that's placed from France that's brought over and, and it's placed inside the uh, inside the, the tomb itself. Tell us how the soldier was selected because that's a powerful story. It's an incredibly powerful story. And the book follows um, each of these eight body bearers as well as um, Edward F. Younger, who's a regular dope boy with the 9th Infantry Regiment, which is part of the 2nd Division, which is part of what the, the Marine Corps was attached to. And the, the, uh, the 2nd Division is an elite unit in many ways. It, it fights in some of the greatest battles of the war. And Edward Younger is, is a participant in this carnage and you know goes through and faces hell, um, goes over the top multiple times in some of the most difficult combat and, um, you know, survives the war, even though it's wounded twice, very severely. Um, but he is, he is present in Germany 
part of the occupation in 1921. And it's 1921, and the United States has decided to select an unknown soldier. This is not a, um, it's not an American idea. France and England are the first to actually choose an unknown soldier. And what happens is, you know, the United States has about 2,200 unknowns, individuals, soldiers that were unidentified because their remains were were so torn apart by, in many cases, the high explosive artillery shells. A movement begins in the United States to also honor our unknowns, to sort of bring closure to those battle deaths and honor all of those who had served. And a, very, a popular, um, a woman from an, an editor from a woman's magazine, The Delineator, um, Marie Maloney, decides to write a letter to the War Department and insists that we do the same thing that, that you know, the French and English are doing. Initially, it gets nowhere, but they, the War Department starts to begin to agree with her, and then there's a movement in the United States. The New York Times, AP, and others begin to sort of come around her idea. And Hamilton Fish, from a captain who was in the Harlem Hellfires, this was a segregated um, African-American and Puerto Rican-American unit that fought from Harlem. And their, their story is extraordinary. They fought in battle racism and segregation. And they fought separately in many cases under the French command, but very bravely and heroically in France. And Hamilton Fish wanted to honor his men. I mean, it's, it's quite possible that, that the unknown soldier itself was one of his men. We don't know. Um, but he wanted to honor his men and also he wanted, he really took up the cause of the unknown soldier and, um, he puts the bill through, through Congress and president, president, um, Wilson signs it. And ultimately president Warren Harding, who's in office in 1921, um, moves forward with the ceremony and the construction of the tomb and the selection. And, Four bodies of unknown soldiers are selected in France uh, from the great cemeteries in in France, which were all places of incredible battle. This is like the Meuse Argonne, for instance. Bella Wood, there's a cemetery. San Mihiel, where Saunders leads his charge across the no man's land, breaches the wire and captures 63 Germans in the Somme. And these, the, the unidentified are removed. And these four bodies, they're, they're carefully checked to make sure there's no dog tags or letters or diaries or anything that can identify them. The actual burial certificates of where they were located are burned on the spot. So it's no, there's no way to actually identify which of these four came from where. And then they're brought back to Chalons, France, to the city hall in France. And there's an honor guard present of, you know, battle-hardened grunts from France. You know, France turns out, the country comes, and a general officer from the United States is ultimately given the responsibility, the awesome responsibility of, of choosing the unknown soldier. But at the last minute that night, the French said, you know, we used an enlisted man who had gone through this hell to select our unknown soldier. And that night, Edward F. Younger from Chicago, from the 9th Infantry Regiment, who had one of the best records in terms of service and who had gone through 
you know, this, this incredible hell as a doughboy was given the, the honor of selecting the unknown soldier. In that morning, he wakes up, realizes, you know, the awesome responsibility that he has. The room itself is the city hall. There are four flag draped caskets. The floor of the room is littered with ro- white rose petals. Chopin is playing in the background. He passes through this French honor guard, goes into the room. He says he looks at the flag and talks about how sublime it is. I was able to, in the unknowns, I was able to find hand, uh, Edward Younger's handwritten notes on that experience. And they're in the book for the first time. And he, you know, realizes the awesome responsibility. He prays, he kind of walks around. He's nervous. He doesn't have a, uh, you know, really a, who to choose. And then all of a sudden his hand is literally guided to this one, the one casket. And he is, he is absolutely convinced that it was somebody that he went over the top with, that he knows the man inside. And he places the, a bouquet of white frill flowers on top of the casket. And that is our unknown soldier. Talk a little bit about your research on this project and, and really digging into this. Is, and I think this is your first World War I book and, and really about the process that you went through. I, this is my first World War I book, and I, um, I started doing the research for this book in around 2010 or 11, and it was just on the side, I was beginning to collect the materials. And I really got, I really went completely immersive on this project. I, I started to collect the artifacts from World War I, the um, uniforms, the helmets, gas masks, everything. I, um, I sort of went into that, that time zone and really immersed myself fully into this period. And then I spent years at the National Archives and other archives just pulling out the original primary sources for this book. And it's extensively footnoted. Everything in here is, is generally primary source material. And it's in the words of those who were there, the participants, which is classic kind of books that I've written, but also puts you in their, in their footsteps on their boots, in their boots in the trenches, or in this case, some cases on, on the ship itself the, or the submarine. And yeah, it took, it took me years to, to write the book. And I really, it was a remarkable journey. And I think this is a forgotten generation. The reason why I wrote this book is because when I was at Bella Wood, I realized that the generation of men that I was with in Fallujah were directly impacted by World War One. It was the former Ottoman Empire, and it it was a realization that not only were they in, were we all impacted and almost killed by World War One when the Ottoman Empire was was carved up in artificial countries like Iraq, but it was also a realization that that World War One generation is unknown. It's forgotten, and the, today's generation is almost the same. People have no idea about the service or sacrifice. And I wanted to tell the story of the unknown Doughboy generation it's that in- had changed our world. It's interesting that initially there was uh, kind of pushback, and I think you touched on this earlier, pushback from the military to the idea of doing this. There was a, there was a belief that the 2,200 Americans 
could be identified. And there was also pushback from a cost perspective. They didn't want to bring back the bodies of all 116,000 fallen who died in France. And the first step was that they decided to give families the opportunity to have their sons brought home. And about half of those Americans that had fallen in France were brought home. And then the next step was this, the unknowns themselves. And they initially believed that they, they could find or identify these men. And then the groundswell or the movement that was created by the editor of the, of the delineator, you know, changed that dynamic. How has the monument evolved over the years with the incorporation of, of unknowns from other wars and, and really the way in which the monument became what it is today? Initially, the monument was this, was a very simple stone slab that was only about a foot above the, the ground. And in, in the 1930s, what we now see today is the Tomb of the Unknown was created. And initially, um, there, were no, there was no tomb guards or sentinels there. The um, people could literally come to Arlington and they could have a picnic. And it was, it was horrendous. There was actually vandalism on the tomb itself. In the 1930s, it was decided to have a tomb guard that would guard the, the, the tomb uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week under any weather conditions. And that's um, part of the third infantry regiment, the old guard, which does that incredible honor every day. Um, and I'm blessed that, that they are um, very, very strong supporters of the unknowns. And um, I, I'm very honored by their participation and interest. Um, and as a, you know, as the tomb, you know, over the years, there's an unknown from World War II in the tomb, as well as the Korean War. And there initially was a an unknown from Vietnam that was placed in the tomb. But it was found later that at the insistence of that family, this individual who was an aviator was identified through DNA analysis and was removed from the tomb and then given full military honors and is then buried, later buried. Given DNA today, given the way we're able to identify today, is, is this an idea that, that has passed us by? No, I don't think so at all, because there's no there's no um, certainty that the individual inside the tomb, especially from World War One, can be identified. There may not be um, actually. Uh, there's, there's it's probably highly unlikely that there's in the DNA base that we have now that we that he may be identified. There's a possibility of degradation, but the other thing is the tomb itself is an incredibly important memorial. It's a national symbol. It represents who we are as Americans. It also represents all who have served and all who have, have uh, died for the United States under arms. And so I think that that's the importance of the tomb. Patrick O'Donnell, the book is The Unknowns, the untold story of America's unknown soldier and World War I's most decorated heroes who brought him home. Patrick, it is always a pleasure. I thank you so much for spending time with us. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Appreciate it.